0: Well, good morning again, everyone. Uh, we are glad to have you here, as Catherine said, on this uh, cold and rainy day. It's a joy to be back with you. We missed last Sunday, um, so I'm thankful and grateful to, to be with my, my fellow congregants and members here at King's Church. Uh, we are, we're in a, a Philippians series this semester. That's what we've been working through and talking about. Last week, uh, Chad, we're still in Philippians 1, and so Chad was in Philippians 1 12 through 14 and his main idea was that as we suffer for christ the gospel advances and the church is fearless and he talked about that somehow in god's uh, sovereignty and his providence right he uses hardship persecution imprisonment he uses that for our good and for his own glory and Chad drew out that as, as people saw Paul's example, they were also likewise encouraged and emboldened to take the gospel to those around him. And today we're, we're picking up right after that where, we're, where we'll see there's a couple people who are trying to share the gospel with false motives. They're sharing it out of envy and rivalry. There's also a couple who are doing it with good motives. It seems an odd situation that people are trying to to share the gospel, to hurt Paul. But I think Eric really hit, hit the nail on the head already when he said that he's still able to rejoice because Christ is proclaimed. And I hope here at King's Church that, as Chad was saying when he was praying, that we would come to know Christ through the, through the written word. And as we know him, would we rejoice in who he is and also find joy when others come to know Christ as well. So today, uh, as a brief overview where we'll be going, I'll talk about the two different ways that people are trying to go and proclaim the gospel. And we see that Paul has a single response to that, and that's joy in Christ. And it's a straightforward passage, but from there, from Paul's response, I think we can get two uh, applications or points that I want you to take away with you, hopefully find some conviction through that. And then finally, I'll leave you with one word of encouragement. But the main idea, our big idea for today, what I want you to walk away with, is that as believers, would we find joy in the proclamation of the true gospel of Jesus Christ? Would we, like Paul, long to know Christ and have others know him as well? And so would we be selfless enough to be able to rejoice when Christ is proclaimed, even if we're not the ones doing it? Let me uh, read this passage. We've read it already, but let's read it again, and then I'll pray for it. If you've got your Bibles, again, we're still in Philippians 1. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the pew in front of you. If if you just don't have a Bible at all, please take that with you. Uh, That's our gift to you. We think it is extremely valuable. Uh, This can be found on page 921 of that pew Bible if you need it. But Philippians 1, verses 15 through 18 Paul is continuing to write uh, while he's in prison. He says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I, that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. That's our our scripture for the the day. Would you you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that we have this example of Paul. God, one who has declared all is lost, that we might know Christ. God, would we follow his example? Would we be diligent to come Seek to know you through Christian community, God, through your word as you've revealed yourself. Will we find joy and satisfaction in knowing you. And from that, then, God, will we rejoice when others come to know you as well as their Savior. God, would you humble us today? Would we, would we think uh, of our own lives where we might have envy and rivalry and pride? God, would you convict us of those and move us to, to a selfless joy where we rejoice in the gospel? As it goes forth. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Alrighty. So from this passage, we see that there are two motivations for gospel proclamation. The first is people are doing it out of envy. And others do it out of love. Right? So in verse 15, it says that some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. And they're doing this seeking to to cause Paul pain. They want to afflict him in his imprisonment. They have selfish ambition. And so I want us to think about two questions. First is, is, who are these people? And second, why would they be trying to proclaim the gospel to hurt Paul? Well, what's going on here? So the first question of, of who are these people? It's, it's safe to say that they're not going to be uh, Judaizers or the religious elite of the day. And I can say that because in verse 18 we just read that, that Paul, he rejoices that the true gospel is going forth. So these people though they have wrong motives, right, they're still proclaiming Christ, and in that, Paul rejoices. So they wouldn't be the Jewish religious elite, think like the Pharisees or the Sadducees, because we know that these people are rejecting the true gospel. right? They're, they have not accepted that Jesus was the promised Christ, the Messiah. They don't believe in his death and resurrection. They're trying to persecute people who are bearing that good news. So these people who are trying to hurt Paul in this situation, aren't the Pharisees, right? We do know that they they try to stir up crowds. They, they get Paul beaten and stoned. They don't like Paul. But in this situation, it's not going to be like the Pharisees or the Sadducees. And it's also not going to be the Judaizers, or people who would preach the gospel, but then also say that there are other things necessary for salvation, whether that be circumcision or dietary food restrictions or honoring the Sabbath. They would say that, yes, Jesus was the Christ, but you also have to do these things for, for salvation. And Paul oftentimes writes against those people, right? And we'll actually look at one of those a little bit later in Galatians. So it's not going to be either of those two people. So, so who is this group of people? It would seem that they are people who have genuinely believed in the gospel, right? They, they could be in Rome, where Paul is writing this in prison, or they could be elsewhere in different places where Paul has had influence, and so they, they likely heard the gospel, they received it, and they probably want to proclaim it. However, I think they've become jealous of Paul, right? And it, it's a little bit understandable. If you think about Paul and who he is, he is the most influential or one of the most influential guys of this new church movement, right? He's, he's the guy. He writes a lot, of, a lot of letters to churches. He's got a really cool testament story. Have you ever been uh, jealous of someone of how they come to know Christ? Right, Paul's got this neat story where he's walking on or he's riding on a on the road to Emmaus, and all of a sudden the resurrected Christ speaks to him. That could cause, cause some envy. I and mean, Paul has been accepted and approved by the apostles. So he's recognized as a as a leader, one who has authority. Right? He's he's helped plant multiple churches. He's been set apart and commissioned to go on missionary journeys. He he's viewed as a spiritual father to a lot of people. He's a church planter. Right? So, so Paul is, has done a lot. More than that, Paul even has a pretty good background. We know in, um, in Philippians 3, just a couple pages over, Paul talks about this at one point. He says that he could have, have reason to be prideful and have confidence in who he is. It's Philippians 3, verses 4 and 6. If you're still there, you can just flip over. And Paul is writing about a reason he could have confidence In Philippians 3, verse 4, he says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal of persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So for who Paul was in his past and what he had been doing, I think there's a lot of reasons that people could become envious and jealous of who Paul was. And so perhaps these people, when they received the gospel, they genuinely wanted to go out and, and share the gospel and see co- people come to know Christ. However, maybe they just weren't as effective as Paul. And they were jealous of his status, right? They, they couldn't um, convert as many people as Paul as Paul was doing. We know that's the Spirit's work, working through Paul. But they harbored envy and bitterness, And so then when they hear that Paul's in jail, they think, well, this is my time to shine. Now I can become this new leader of the movement. People can start looking to me as a spiritual father. And also, since Paul's been making me angry over these last couple years, I want him to get a taste of his own medicine. And so they're seeking that, hey, as I go out and share the gospel, as my ministry grows, Paul, who's stuck in prison, he's going to get hurt. And he's now going to be the one who's jealous of my ministry because it's growing. So I think for these reasons, these people are going out and trying to share the gospel. And it seems, we know, we're sitting here, we're thinking, that's odd, right? Paul's aim in life is to share the gospel of Christ and people to come to know Christ. So if you're going to go share the gospel of Christ and people to come to know Christ, how is that really going to make Paul angry? But I think that this situation gets at a much more subtle and pervasive sin that can be prevalent within the church and within ministries. Right? Satan can be so crafty that you can be in the middle of church serving to do something good, yet be sinning because your motivations are wrong. Right? That, that we truly can get envious of people for the good things that they do. Or we can choose to do good things to try to get noticed for our, our service. Now, I know I've fallen into the into this sin before, one of my best friends from Mississippi State was just the most outgoing person I've ever met. He knew everyone. If I ever meet someone from Mississippi State, I ask him, hey, do you know this guy? That's my, that's my best connection that we might be able to, to cross paths somehow. But he used his connections and his influence for really good stuff to start campus ministries, to, um, to, to facilitate campus worship nights at Mississippi State, but also unified the entire SEC to all worship together at one night. Uh, like, he used all of his connections for the glory of God, and that is praiseworthy, but I could find sometimes seeds of jealousy in my heart, right? Man, I wish, I wish that many people knew me. When we're on campus together and everyone's stopping us to talk, I wish they were talking to me, not him. And God certainly worked on my heart, uh, and I'm thankful he did, because I can rejoice in what he's done, and how he uses his giftings for the glory of God, man. And I want to I want to praise God for that and be thankful for my brother. And I want to be humble enough to be comfortable to serve in the areas where God has called me and the giftings that he has given me. And together, can we both seek the, the proclamation of Christ? Would we, would, we, would we pursue that end together? And so what about you, right? Have you ever... Gone to a conference perhaps and seen a speaker and and you just kind of wished wish you could be on stage. If you've gone to passion, man, that'd be cool to get on stage and you're speaking to thousands of college students. And yes, man, I, I want those people to to be mature in their faith. I want to leave like a lasting remark in their in their in their minds that causes them to love Jesus more. That that's what we want. Or is there a seed of jealousy and pride in your heart where? It also feel pretty good to have thousands of people know your name, right? To see, you think about, oh, there's John Piper, he's a leader. Tim Keller, he's a leader. Ah, oh, Caleb Wilson, he's also a guy who's written all these books. All of a sudden, our motivation to do good things is so that we could get noticed. Maybe you hate the stage. You really don't want to ever get up there. But it hurts when you're serving behind the scenes and you never get acknowledged for it, Right? And so pretty soon, I don't think it's too far off to see ourselves doing good things, volunteering to help to serve Jesus so that our kingdoms and our ministries can get built and we can get noticed. There's, there's certainly pride and envy in all of our hearts. So hearts truly can be deceitful, but as we continue in this passage, we get to see an example of pure motives in people who proclaim the gospel out of love That's the second way that people were going out. They were sharing Christ, as we saw in verse 15, out of love. Verse 16, that they know that Paul is in prison for the defense of the gospel. And they don't want the gospel's advancement to be hindered by his imprisonment. Right? These are the people, like, last week that Chad was talking about. They saw that despite Paul's chains, despite persecution, despite imprisonment, The gospel still goes forth, and in that they rejoice, and they want to take that baton and run with it. They want to see the ends of the earth reached with the gospel. And this is our prayer, that this is how King's Church does evangelism. This is how we rejoice in the gospel, right? That we're not concerned by how many people walk through our doors. Yes, we want to see people come into church. We want to see people discipled. We want to see uh, other churches planted We want to do that because we want people to know Christ. That's the end goal. We want to treasure Christ, and then from that love and overflow, would we go then and proclaim the gospel? And also, then we're able to rejoice as others do the same thing, even if they're not within King's Church. So there's these, these two ways that people are trying to proclaim the gospel. They're doing it out of selfish ambition for themselves, or out of selfless love. But in both cases, Paul has a similar response of joy, right? This is verse 18, where Paul is saying, What then, only in every way, whether in pretense or whether in false motives, or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And you have to pause and think, like, man, if people truly were trying to cause Paul harm, that had to have hurt a little bit, right? That... that, he, he, he recognizes he truly is restricted. He is imprisoned. He can't continue to be with those people who bring him joy. And there are others who are actively trying to cause him harm. So I'm sure there was some hurt. So how does Paul then still say that he can have joy in this, this situation? And the secret is back in Philippians 3. I, I stopped after reading verse 6. But if, if you're still there, go to verse 7 and beyond. Because here we learn why Paul can rejoice in the midst of good times and in the midst of bad times. So Philippians 3, 7. Paul says that whatever gain I had, right, whatever uh, fleshly or historical things that are good for me, whatever that is, I counted all as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the secret, right? Is that <laughs> Paul's aim in life is to know Christ. That's, that's his foundation for joy. That's why in, in hard times or good times, he rejoices when the gospel goes forth. And I think Christ's or excuse me, Paul's uh, delight in Christ. And his elevated and magnified view of who Christ is is so necessary. Because notice in 18, verse 18, Paul doesn't say, I don't care what others think about me. Right? I don't think the answer is thick skin and apathy where you just don't care anymore. You're not emotional. I don't think you love people well. That's not his response. And his response also isn't a self-justification or like a self-congratulations where he's sitting in prison And people are trying to hurt him. And he goes, well, they can do whatever they want, but they'll never be as effective in ministry as I am. Right? So he doesn't do either of those extremes, shrugging it off or trying to build himself up. What he does is he delights in Christ. And as you know and behold Christ and see his glory, I think everything else pales in comparison. I don't know why, but when I was uh, thinking about this, (laughs) I was thinking of the movie Jurassic Park. And it's the first time the doctors see the dinosaurs. So they're in this Jeep. They're going through the park. And the, the lady, she's looking at this leaf. And she's completely enthralled by it. And she's saying, like, this is too old for our planet. It doesn't make sense. So she's just looking down. Meanwhile, Dr. Grant, he's in the back of the Jeep, right? And all of a sudden he stands up. And he takes off his hat and his sunglasses. And his mouth is opened. And he can't, he's speechless. He can't say anything. And he reaches down and he just grabs her head and turns it. And all of a sudden, when she stops looking down at this leaf, she sees this massive stegosaurus walking by. And she does the same thing, right? She stands up, she's open-mouthed, and they're speechless. And all of a sudden, the leaf is forgotten. And so I think Paul, right, he could have been sitting there looking at his chains, looking at, oh, man, people are trying to hurt me. Man, I'm, I'm hindered in my, uh, my gospel advancement right now. He could be looking at a bad situation and throwing a pity party, or trying to just hold on to this image of who Paul is, saying, oh, well, I'm hindered, but let me at least try to continue this relationship with churches, because that's, that's where I find my joy, is how this church is doing. He doesn't do either of those things. What he does is he magnifies and he looks to Christ. And these other things, the good and the bad in life, they don't hold a candle to the blazing light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. This is, this is Paul's response to enjoy Christ and enjoy when others find Christ as well. And so from his response, I want us to draw two applications. The first is that would we also have a selfless joy in the gospel of Christ? And that foundation, right, is fundamentally knowing Christ and loving Him and finding our joy and satisfaction in him, and then we can rejoice. When, when the gospel is proclaimed, then other people also come to know him. But the second application is that in order for us to rejoice as the gospel is proclaimed, we need to know what gospel is being taught. Is it a true gospel? Or is it a false gospel? So the first point is, I want us to find a selfless joy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, that is rooted And finding joy in Christ. Joy in Christ truly is one of the main themes of Philippians, right? It's a thread that we've been trying to string all these sermons through. And so this whole semester we're going to be talking about this idea of finding joy in Christ. So I can't cover it all right here. But I just want to add one thing, or or one main point and idea behind this. That to find joy in Christ, we need to know Christ. And how do we know Christ? How do we accurately meet Him? That's through Scripture. This this is how God has chosen to reveal Himself to us. This is why here at King's Church we preach expositionally. We don't want to preach what we think. We want to preach what God says. We want to elevate Scripture above us. We want to magnify Christ above what anyone thinks, any elder here thinks would be a good idea to talk about. We want to magnify Christ And as the world is is trying to to steal your attention, right, distract you from Christ, we want to come together under the word, Word as brothers and sisters and pursue Him. And try to be diligent to study and learn about Christ and see and know who He is so that we come to know and love Him more and more. And as we rejoice in who He is, we can also rejoice when other people Come to know Him. And, and I'm not saying, please don't hear me saying, all we should do is focus on Christ and, and forget everything else. Just like, shrug off your problems in life. They don't matter. Christ is the most important thing. And don't find joy or happiness in anything else beso- like in life besides Christ. What I am saying, let's take all those good things, the fun things of life, and we give God glory for those things and thank Him for the good gifts that our loving Father loves to give us. And the hardships and the very real heartache of life and the bad things, would we take those, instead of just being consumed and only focusing on our problems, would we take those problems and lay them at the feet of Christ, the one who is actually able to bear our burdens and allow him to work in our hearts and comfort us? To come and walk alongside the one who is gentle and lowly of heart. Who invites us to to walk along beside him. Whose yoke is easy and his burden is light. So do we be diligent to come study, know Christ, so that then we can delight in him. And as we delight in Christ, right, what you find joy in, you want to share with others... And you also rejoice when other people find those same things. My wife does this wonderfully well. If Catherine finds something that brings her joy, she has to share it with somebody. uh, One time there was a girl in in youth group and she was eating with us. And Catherine had, I think, a bubble tea or something that she was loving. And she kept trying to get her to try it. And the girl was being polite. She's like, I don't want it. And I said, look, she will not stop until you try this. (laughs) Like Catherine has to share her joy with other people. And that's what Paul does too, right? That that his joy is in Christ. And so he finds joy when others come to know Christ as well. He is the ultimate treasure that we should want all people to come and know and experience. So do we have this selfless joy that rejoices when Christ is proclaimed? Even if it's not us. Even if a church opens up down the street and they are exploding and people are coming to know Christ. Would we rejoice in that? We we want to rejoice when there are other campus ministries who are making disciples at UNCC. We just want to be, we want to do our own part and be faithful to make disciples. However, the second point is we want to rejoice when the true gospel is being taught. Paul models this for us here in Philippians, right? He rejoices that the gospel is being proclaimed even though People are doing it from false motives. He's still able to have joy because people are coming to know Christ. There are plenty of other examples where a false gospel is taught and Paul does not hold back. All right? One example is Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9. Uh, a, a false got, or the Galatian church is starting to believe some false things. These are truly the Judaizers. They're adding religious practices into the, the necessity of salvation. And here's what Paul says in this situation. He's not, I'm rejoicing. He says, verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, right? There's only one true gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we... Or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that was preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul is very adamant, right, that people uphold the true gospel of Christ. And it's because he knows that people only come to salvation through a proper understanding of the gospel. So how do we recognize false gospels? How do we know what is the true gospel? One way you could recognize a false gospel is if you're a woman, you can go to Women's Equip. And they're teaching on false gospels. It would be a wonderful time to learn a little bit more about false gospels. One thing to be able to recognize a false gospel, we need to know what is the true gospel. And so in summary here, here's the gospel. There's a lot packed into these few sentences. But the true gospel of Christ declares that all of humanity has rebelled against and sinned against the one true righteous and holy God. Right? We are guilty and deserving of punishment and unable to do anything about our situation. We are dead in our sin. But God... In his great love for us while we were still sinners sent Christ, his one and only son whom he loved, to be a substitutionary sacrifice. So that we might be saved by his loving grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. There's a lot there, but, but what we hope is every week we are preaching the gospel so that we can recognize the true gospel. That truly we are sinners Saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone. This is what, as we teach the three circles, if you know the Romans Road, if you know the bridge diagram, they all hit the same thing, that we are separated from God. And God is a righteous, loving, holy judge. We are deserving of wrath. And God in his great love sent Christ to be a, a means and a way so that we could have a reconciled relationship with him. That's the true gospel. That's what we want to come to know and to love. I do want to take a a brief moment to highlight three different ideas of some false gospels that are prevalent today. Uh, One that that Paul really was writing against in in Galatians is when people add things that are necessary to salvation. And we see this in the Catholic Church. That they try to add things. They, They say that we are saved by grace plus works. That this salvation is based on God's grace plus our good merit, our good standing. We are saved through Christ's work plus other mediators such as the Pope. Salvation is taught through the scriptures plus traditions of the church. And we are saved for the glory of God plus the glory of Mary and other saints. Right, here here is a... um, a quote, it's from the Council of Trent, it's Article 9, this is a statement of the Catholic Church, they say, if anyone saith that by faith alone the impious is justified, let him be anathema. If anyone says that by faith alone you're saved, let him be accursed, let him be excommunicated, let that person be viewed as our opposition. And to this stance, and to what this false gospel that they preach, we would say, no. No. We are saved by faith alone, through God's grace alone, due to Christ's work alone, according to the scriptures alone, and it's all for the glory of God alone. It is all God's work, nothing that we do. Another, um, I think, false gospel, really just, probably just false teaching, not wise teaching that is very common today, is one where people downplay the sinfulness of man. And they do this, right, because culture likes it when you say, God loves you. Everyone says, sweet, God loves me. When you tell someone you're a sinner and you need to stop, that's offensive. But we know the gospel is offensive, right? That, that has been told to us in scripture. But when people downplay uh, the sinfulness of man, they don't have a position. They don't stand on the word of Christ to define what is right and wrong. So they don't call people out of sin. And they don't have a stance that that says certain things are wrong, right? They they won't uh, take a stance on abortion or or on anger or lust or homosexuality or divorce or adultery. They won't say whether these are right or wrong. And therefore, I don't think people realize that they truly are in need of a Savior, right? Their gospel, which means good news, I don't really think it's good news. I think it might be happy news right, that they start teaching, they, they deny the sinfulness of man, so they say, hey, you're a good person, and now you come to church so that we can learn about this guy who loves you, and we're going to use some Christianese and Christian language to, to have some self-help so that you can have a better life and live a good life now. They teach happy news. I think to understand good news, you need to understand that there was <laughs> really bad news, right, that you you are a sinner, and you were dead in your sin. You had a heart of stone. You were a rebel of God. You were a child of wrath, a child of darkness. All of these things were true about you, and we need, to be, we need to repent of those things. And the good news the gospel is that Christ, in his love, gave his life for you. We were in such a bad state. The bad news was that literally God had to die for your sin, and that makes good news so much sweeter. I don't know if you've ever um, been driving, say it's late at night, it's stormy, it's rainy, you're hydroplaning, it's craziness. You get home, you're really thankful that you made it home safely, right? I love Sunday afternoon drives, not this Sunday, but when it's sunny and 75 and you have the windows rolled down and you're driving home looking forward to a nap, right? That's a lot easier of a life, a lot easier of a drive, but you're not as thankful when you make it home. And I think if you're just trying to have a happy, good life, that when life gets hard, that good, their message, falls apart. Versus as believers, the good news, oh man, is that despite whatever life throws at us, whether you're in prison like Paul, whether you're facing persecution like some of our brothers and sisters overseas do, whether you're ridiculed at work, whether you have uh, dear friends turn their backs on you for your beliefs, the good news is that you're firmly held by Christ and his work for you. And he'll hold us to the end. One final uh, brief false gospel that I'll, I'll just mention is, is this kind of idea of like a word of faith movement. A lot of times I, th- I think of Bethel Church with this one. Where they elevate what, what teachers teach or, or what uh, your dreams might be. If you have a word of knowledge from the Lord, they, they say that that is true and they live by that as opposed to what scripture says. And so if anyone, as Paul says, teaches a gospel that is contrary to what we learn in Scripture, that is a false gospel, and it should be rejected. We, as believers, are submitted to the authority of Scripture, and this is where we come to know who God is and what He says. God can absolutely speak to people. He he does miracles. He heals people. Yet if it's contrary to Scripture, it's not true, no matter what you feel or, or want to be true. So these are a couple false gospels that we should be aware of. And I want to offer one final word of encouragement. I'll go ahead and invite the, the band back up so we can continue in this worship as we're celebrating, man, Christ and who he is. But this final word of encouragement, is: I just read in Galatians, that Paul says, if you teach a false gospel, would you be accursed? And then I just talked about false gospels and you might be left wondering, it, have I ever taught a false gospel? Or, or will I ever make a mistake? And what I, what I want to tell you and to give you comfort is that don't be scared that by making a mistake you're gonna be accursed, right? That God uses flawed human beings to advance his gospel. And as we saw here today, that even if he can use impure motives to advance his gospel, and why does God continue to do this? Because God is unwaveringly committed to the gospel advancement. And so people from every tribe tongue, and nation confess Jesus as Lord. The image we see in Revelation will come to pass, and Christ has chosen to use us, flawed, sinful, sometimes hypocritical human beings, to take the gospel to those people, right? right if, if gospel advancement stopped or doesn't happen, if there's not a perfect gospel presentation, there would be no more Christians after Christ went back to heaven, but despite our mistakes, yes, we should strive to know the true gospel and proclaim that. Despite our own sometimes false heart motives, yes, we should uh, go before the Spirit and ask that the Lord would reveal our, our pride and our jealousy. Yes, we need to do those things. But despite that, God can still move. I always think of the, the story of Jonah where he gets dragged hand and foot to Nineveh. And then he grumbles through the city saying, repent or the city's going to be destroyed. And the entire city does Right? And they sit in sackcloth and ashes for days seeking forgiveness from God. And his heart motive was obviously wrong because then he's annoyed that these people repented. He didn't even want them to listen to his message. And God still used it to save sinners. So God can use you. So please have, have courage in that, right? Have confidence that even if you make mistakes, God can use. Uh, gospel proclamation we're just called to be faithful to go and sow seeds of the gospel. so so again, would we be diligent to come know Christ to find our joy in him and then rejoice when the gospel is proclaimed and other people come to know Christ? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the good news God, that, that we were dead in our sin, yet while we were still sinners, Christ demonstrated his own love, that, that he came and he died for us. Lord, would we take that to heart? Would we long to see other others come to know you? Lord, would you truly do a work in us? Would we uh, try to be like Paul, God? Would we um, not, not feel anger or jealousy, or envy of others as their ministries grow. Would you humble us, convict us of that, Father, so that we can just rejoice that people come to know you and are saved through that. Lord, I pray that here at King's Church, we would be obedient to your calling to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to all those around us. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. It's in your prayer. Amen.